For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Morning, everyone. Uh, for any new people that might be here, I'm Taigen Layton, the guiding teacher of Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. And I want to talk this morning about peace, both in Zazen and in our world. So uh, in Zazen, we find inner peace through upright steadiness, through maintaining presence and awareness, right in the middle of chaos, right in the middle of our monkey mind, right in the middle of suffering around us. So real peace is not uh, denial or escapism. In settles us in practice, particularly in a context of uh, extensive practice for a day or five days or whatever, um, it's possible to find settledness and calm and peace. But um, uh, we can't we can't have peace without uh, peace in the world around us. Uh, Gyoshin sent me a quote from um, uh, Pope Paul VI, 1972. If you want peace, work for justice. So this applies to Zazen too. How do we maintain our awareness in Zazen? In uh, Fukan Zazengi, Dogen Zenji's recommendation, universal recommendation for everyone for how to sit Zazen. One of his very first writings, uh, Dogen said, the Zazen I speak of is not meditation practice. In other words, it's not about some technique or method of, for finding for meditation. It's, it is simply the Dharma gate of peace and bliss, the practice realization of totally culminated awakening. So uh, Dogen, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, the founder of our branch of Buddhism in Japan in the, in the 1200s, um, so uh, the, called Soto Zen nowadays. So in, in his very first initial, earliest writing, uh, when he came back from China and, and settled in Japan, he talked about how to sit zazen, how to be upright and steady. And he says it's simply the Dharma gate, the entryway to peace and bliss. So our practice is about peace and even bliss sometimes. But it's not, uh, again, it's not about uh, ignoring our own personal karma, our own aches and pains, our own heartaches and uh, regrets and so forth. And it's and it uh, it's not possible to find this if we're surrounded by suffering and injustice. So uh, Hongzhi, um, who lived 1091 to 1157 in China, is one of our great ancestors also. Um, he was a, an important predecessor to Dogen. 
in the 11th century in China. And he says, amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. So nirvana, um, well, in um, early Buddhism, nirvana is escape. Actually, it means cessation, escape from the rounds of suffering. Uh, But in uh, Bodhisattva Buddhism and the Mahayana tradition that we're part of, um, what Hongshu says here is exactly it. Amid living beings is the original place of nirvana, right in the middle of our busy lives. For some of us here in Chicago, for I see people on Zoom from Indiana and Michigan and uh, Cleveland and uh, California. Anyway, uh, but right where you are and with the people around you and 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 not just the people but the animals and 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 trees and mountains and rivers right in the middle of this world is how we come to this practice of what token calls peace and bliss just settling into calm and awareness so I'm going to talk more about this passage from Hongzhou uh, next Sunday. Uh, but um, this is a basic part of what we call Mahayana Buddhism. Um, we can't really uh, find true peace and true awareness and true awakening if we know about suffering down the street or in the next country over or whatever. So. Uh, I'll come back to this, but I also want to talk about uh, uh, peace in the world. And I want to talk about a great American spiritual anti-war activist who spoke about war in terms of injustice. And that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose day was celebrated this week. And uh, some of you know about this, and I talk every year about Dr. King and how he was immersed in the world. But for younger people who don't know, who've been subject to the Santa Clausification of Dr. King, as Cornell West speak calls it, uh, he wasn't just a a civil rights leader uh, promoting nonviolence, although he was certainly that. But he, um, uh, a year to the day before he was killed in April, 1967, he spoke out strongly against the Vietnam War. And uh, for a background and context for, I want to read some passages from that speech, but as context, I want to talk about a great American general and Republican president, Dwight Eisenhower, in his farewell address in January 1961, uh, when he was about to leave office and, and John Kennedy was going to be the new president. Uh, Eisenhower, who was a great general, he he defeated Hitler in Europe. I mean, he, well, the whole American army, but he was the the, uh, presiding general there. He warned about the, at that time, new, quote, injunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. He can, Eisenhower continued, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Um, originally, the original draft was the military-industrial congressional complex. He continued, the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. So that was 1961. We're in 2023 now. Um, And the current domination over the American economy and our foreign policy and our government by arms corporations and their overwhelming lobby of legislators that Eisenhower warned against has resulted in a situation where policies made at the service of military might and military corporations, rather than the military serving to support our policies. 
So I want to go back to Dr. King. Um, again, on April 4, 1967, he spoke out strongly against the Vietnam War. He was murdered a year to the day afterwards. I don't believe that was a coincidence. He wasn't the first uh, leader to talk about, the, uh, to oppose the Vietnam War. Muhammad Ali uh, had previously declared it being a conscientious objector and gave up his heavyweight crown to, because he did not want, would not go to Vietnam. I myself was in high school at the time and I'd been working against the Vietnam War for a couple of years before this. But when Dr. King spoke against the war, that accelerated the anti-war movement in the United States to a great, to a great extent and led to, well, eventually, much, much too much later, a, um, the end of the war. When King gave his talk, he was viciously attacked in the media and even among civil rights leaders for not sticking to civil rights, quote unquote. The FBI and J. Edgar Hoover made plans to assassinate him. That's now documented. Okay, I want to read some of um, what Dr. King said in April 1967. First, he said that the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today is my own government. What we are submitting our troops to in Vietnam is not simply the brutalizing process that goes on in any war where armies face each other and seek to destroy. We are adding cynicism to the process of death where they must know after after a short period there in Vietnam that none of the things we claim to be fighting for are really involved. This is, he goes on, this is the role our nation has taken, the role of those who refuse to give up the privileges and the pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. So so much of what Dr. King spoke of is very much true today. He continued, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers and computers um, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are, are incapable of being conquered. Dr. King spoke for a true revolution of values, which will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth with righteous indignation. And the discrepancy between poverty and wealth is much, much, much more extreme now than it was then. He continues, it will look across the seas and see individual capitalists of the West investing huge sums of money in Asia, Africa, South America, only to take the profits out with no concern for the social betterment of the countries. The Western arrogance of feeling that we have everything to teach others and nothing to learn from them is not just. Dr. King said, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense and on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. I want to read that one again. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. He continued, there is nothing except a tragic death wish to prevent us from reordering our priorities so that the pursuit of Peace will take precedence over the pursuit of war. And I would say it's not just now, it's not just our tragic death wish, but uh, that prevents our reordering priorities, but the vast sums of money that the weapons manufacturers uh, spend on lobbying and and contributing to politicians uh, from both parties. 
and continued, our only hope today lies in our ability to recognize the revolutionary spirit and go out into a sometimes hostile world, declaring eternal hostility to poverty, racism, and militarism. With this powerful commitment, we shall boldly challenge the status quo and unjust mores. Let us hope that this spirit of universal love will become the order of the day. We can no longer afford to worship the God of hate or bow before the altar of retaliation. History is cluttered with the wreckage of nations and individuals that pursued this self-defeating path of hate. If we do not act, we shall be dragged down the long, dark, and shameful corridors of time reserved for those who possess power without compassion, might without morality, and strength without insight. So this is what Martin Luther King said in 1967. And uh, how things are today uh, is um, much more extreme than that. So um, the military profiteers, the, the military weapons corporations in our country and, and others around the world um, have tremendous influence and power now. As an example, our current Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, previously was on board of directors of Raytheon, uh, one of the uh, largest military contractors and one of the leaders in nuclear arms production. Uh, that was after 40 years that um, Secretary Austin served in the military was, as a general. Many other generals now retire, then work for weapons dealers including most of the pundits on cable news who are also currently, you know, who, who make declarations about war and and, and uh, weapon systems and how the war in Ukraine is going and so forth. They are also being paid at the same time by weapons companies, which they don't acknowledge when they get up and make proclamations. So uh, this is um, from December 2022. Ex experts estimate that over half of the $858 billion Pentagon budget will flow directly to Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman. Not the only weapons contractors in our country, but the five main ones who have tremendous wealth and profit. Congress has rubber-stamped Pentagon wish lists in an unaccountable, secretive process, funneling tens of billions to weapons and war companies every single year. For decades now, since Dr. King. This year, families across the country are struggling to pay for gas and groceries. But the Pentagon sent Congress two wish lists. They cost us $54 billion. We waste $1.7 trillion on failed fighter jets while families go hungry. Upwards of $7 trillion has gone directly from taxpayers into weapons makers' corporate bank accounts over the past two decades. Meanwhile, we're told by politicians that we can't afford decent health care. We can't afford housing. We can't afford to um, upgrade our infrastructure. Members of Congress in both parties, with support from citizens, have started calling for decrease in the military budgets and accountability from the Pentagon. So uh, there are things we can do. We can support politicians to um, decrease the military budget, to make the Pentagon more accountable for um, 
its spending. So I want to just name some of these companies. And this is this data is from 2017 from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, SIPRI, it's an acronym. So uh, just to mention the, the a little bit about the main weapons dealers who are making huge, huge profits. And actually the um, head of Raytheon uh, announced in a stockholders meeting recently how wonderful the war in Ukraine is because there, he's, we're, his company is making huge profits. So Lockheed Martin, had, this is in 2017, uh, the, the most recent uh, information from Cipri. And Lockheed Martin uh, was was first in arms sales then with 40, 40, $44.9 billion. This includes uh, they, they're building a combat ships to hypersonic missiles to fighter jets. Uh, they're the top weapons manufacturer in 2017, um, $44.9 billion in sales. Um, so in 2017, Lockheed Martin got both of the Pentagon's new uh, hypersonic weapons contracts continued delivery of its F-35 fighter jets, America's most expensive weapon system. So these are just examples, but uh, but uh, this is from again from 2017, but I want to name these companies. Next was Boeing, which had arms sales of $26.9 billion that year. In 2018, Boeing gained a significant number of Pentagon contracts. In the month of September alone, Boeing was awarded more than 20 contracts with a cumulative value of $13.7 billion. Raytheon, who I've already mentioned, uh, had arms sales that year of $23.9 billion. They're the world's top manufacturer of guided missiles, a leader in missile defense systems, and one of the leaders in terms of nuclear weapons uh, upgrades and new nuclear weapon systems. They also have to make the Patriot missile system, and uh, which is, has become the backbone of European ballistic missile defense. Uh, next, uh, I'll mention Northrop Grumman. In 2017, they had arms sales of $22.4 billion. And uh, in 2017, they acquired rocket maker Orbital ATK for $7.8 billion. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, in October, U.S. Air Force awarded Dr. Brubin $792 million to develop a domestic launch system prototype. So the Ukrainian war poses, of course, problems. We want to defend Ukraine. The Ukrainian people are suffering tremendously, and Putin's brutal invasion, uh, you know, we need to do what we can to defend Ukraine. Um, but, um, but there have been efforts at peace. Uh, there, there have been mentions of peace by President Selenko of Ukraine. Uh, even President Putin has talked about, despite his brutal invasion, possibilities of peace. Uh, what, it, what does it mean to support Ukraine and to support the Ukrainian people? Uh, that would include continued funding for uh, Ukraine humanitarian aid and refugee assistance, not just not just weapons. Resettlement uh, efforts. Uh, we need to support direct U.S. diplomacy to end the war. Eventually, there will have to be negotiations. It's, it's not a war that can be won militarily. Ukraine's not going to conquer the Russia, and the Ukrainian people are, have proven how brave they are. And it, it clearly is Russia's not going to just conquer Ukraine. 
So we can oppose escalatory steps that would spread the danger further, like no-fly zones where U.S. troops would be getting involved in, in an escalating, escalating conflict with Russia. Uh, uh, we can we can stop military contractors in the Pentagon from using the Ukraine war to, to increase already bloated military budgets. Yes, we have to support Ukraine, and that includes giving them military uh, uh, weapons to survive uh, the Russian invasion. Uh, we have to support voices in of both Ukrainians and Russians who are willing to engage in uh, non nonviolent civil resistance and also in supporting uh, moves towards diplomacy. So uh, it's a difficult situation now. There's no question. And I want to add when I'm talking about this, that talking about the, uh, the, the real need that we have to support Ukraine against Putin's invasion, when I talk about all this and I talk about the weapons contractors and the generals who then go to work for the weapons contractors, I'm not talking about the soldiers on the ground. I respect, uh, you know, we have in our Sangha people who have served in the military um, and people go into the military for noble reasons to try and serve their country. So I'm not talking about the soldiers on the ground who our country doesn't support when they come back uh, terribly damaged and wounded from war. Um, so in addition to all of this, uh, the threats of nuclear war have increased with the war in Ukraine. Uh, and we hear about Putin threatening nuclear war, but the United States has a policy of first, of uh, including first strikes that our official military uh, policy is that we will, uh, when we see fit, uh, do first strikes. So the uh, nuclear danger is, danger of nuclear war is more uh, serious now than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Again, the Ukrainian people are suffering as the, from, as the victims of this vicious Russian attack, but eventually there will need to be peace talks. The war is not going to end by uh, through weapons. Um, in terms of the nuclear arms race, uh, in his 2017 book, A Virgin Warning, uh, the, the, called The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner, our great uh, uh, whistleblower, Daniel Ellsberg, who helped end the Vietnam War and, and uh, helped his efforts and uh, sharing information that he was had been privy to of how different many United States, States administrations had lied about the, about the Vietnam War that they said it was winnable, but they knew it wasn't. Uh, anyway, it, uh, Daniel Allsberg has said recently, quote, for over 50 years, all-out thermonuclear war and irreversible, unprecedented, and almost unimaginable calamity for civilization and most life on Earth has been a catastrophe waiting to happen. That's still true today. No policies in human history have more deserved to be recognized as immoral and insane. So we still have a policy where uh, nuclear weapons are on hair trigger, trigger alert, a mistake uh, by uh, a president or a commander who thinks that there's been an attack. Uh, there all kinds of mistakes could lead to nuclear war. And we're closer to that than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1963 now. So, but one of the points is that this isn't some hopeless thing that we, that we can just ignore. Um, the, we can, there are people in Congress, actually in both parties, who are talking about decreasing the nuclear budget. 
we can support them and we can support politicians to do that, to, 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 to have weapons contractors and the Pentagon be accountable for uh, all the waste that's involved as well as the weapons expenses. So, um, okay, that's the situation we're in, our world, our country. However, I want to go back to talking about what does peace mean in, a, in terms of Zazen and in a Buddhist context. So peace is, you know, peace in the world, which I've been talking about, which is endangered now, but it's also inner peace. How do we find, how do we not be overwhelmed by all the difficulties in our world today? How do we not be overwhelmed by all the difficulties we each face, old age, sickness, and death for ourselves and all those we love? as a certainty, as the Buddha proclaimed 2,500 years ago. Um, so one of the ways that Zazen is the Dharma gate of peace and bliss is that we can learn to not fight or crush or vanquish delusion. So the, the, the militarism in our society has entered our language too. We talk about victories and vanquishing and crushing and you know uh and uh there's this idea that if we just kill and crush and and vanquish all uh, delusion that would be awakened um but that's not our that's not our practice i've been talking about this i've been talking about the the uh non-duality of duality and non-duality that we live in, we our life is a life of delusion. Our sense apparatus provides us with a limited view of the richness and reality of our world. So part of what has to happen to change uh, all of the militarism in our society is for people to uh, have a deeper vision of the possibilities of reality. This is our work as Zen practitioners, to see that we can um, live without hate, without trying to conquer or vanquish others, that we can, and ourselves, that we can uh, give up our, our sense of trying to control everything in the world. Um, and and uh, we, our policymakers think that if we use enough weapons, that we can have control over what happens in the world. And then they neglect humanitarian aid. They neglect providing health care and education and housing. So this isn't just in the world. This is in our country and in all the violence around us here in Chicago and everywhere in our country now. Um, there was another mass shooting in California yesterday. Our language has come to uh, include this, uh, this idea of controlling and conquering and vanquishing and defeating and, you know, all of these militar, military um, uh, ways of speaking. But this Dharma gate of peace and bliss is to find our steadiness, our uprightness, our inner dignity, right amid the challenges and chaos of the world and in, in, our, and in ourselves and in our own regrets and, and uh, traumatic experiences in, in, our, in our woundedness. So the whole world is wounded in some ways. And each of us is wounded in some ways, more or less. How do we come to stay upright in the middle of that? The first noble truth of Buddhism is the truth of suffering, as it's often translated as. Uh, can be translated as dissatisfaction or just that things are out of kilter, out of alignment. 
but it's a noble truth because we can be present and upright and just face it, not try and run away from it, not try and 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 conquer and vanquish and attack all of the different delusions in our own body and mind as well as in the world around us. So how do we settle into a world where things are beyond our control? Some things we can control, but how do we settle and be upright and find our inner dignity in this, uh, in the middle of this? This is the practice of Zazen. Again, the Dharma gate of peace and bliss. But uh, peace in this sense doesn't mean just passiveness. This isn't passive. This isn't, this is a dynamic, active practice, actually, to support peace, to support love. Dr. King talked about love and, and explored the different aspects of love. His writings about love are, are wonderful. And, and that's part of our, our Buddhist practice, too. How do we respond um, to the harm around us, to harm in our communities, uh, in our families, in our interpersonal relationships? How do we respond with helpfulness? And it doesn't mean we can, res- we can respond perfectly. It doesn't mean that there's one right technique or uh, practice, you know, as Dogen says, zazen is not some technique or method of meditative practice. It's this attitude, this uh, posture, physically, mentally, emotionally, of just witnessing to all of this violence in the world, you know. And I've spoken today about the war profiteers in our country who control control our government to some significant extent. Um, But also, how do we not be controlled by our own sense of the need to uh, be involved in conflict? So we have have to face conflict. We face the wall and just witness what goes on in our hearts and minds. So that witnessing is very important. That's also part of the, that witnessing is part of how we respond to militarism and injustice, destruction of our environment and and all of the ills in the world. And there've always been problems in the world, but it's, you know, when we're risking nuclear annihilation, it's uh, pretty serious now. So um, how to respond to harm is not, is not some method or technique. Or maybe there are many, but it's not, there's not one to hold on to. We have to uh, be flexible. We have to keep paying attention. It's not that we figure out how to, how to do, the, do this and, and then we're done. <laughs> it's we're living in um, the middle of change, the middle of chaos, the middle of conflict. And so how we can respond helpfully changes. And it's also different for each of us. We each have our own areas of response. We each can find some issue of harm that we want to respond to. In our sangha, we have many therapists. We have many um uh, Hospice workers, we have activists too. Um, find something that helps that you that you are drawn to doing. It's not that we're all going to find one right way. So um, that's a lot. I am interested in your comments, questions, responses. So um, maybe I'll stop now. Please feel free. I'm interested in hearing your questions and responses. And um, David Ray is Zoom host. You can call on people in the room there 
at Lincoln Square and also people online. Thank you all. Or in the room, you might just start talking since I might not be able to see your hand. <clears throat> and I also can't see everyone on Zoom right now, so you might use the hand raise function. You might use the hand raise function at the bottom. David, would you turn up the volume just a little bit? I've, I've been trying to turn up the volume. Tigan, your sound is low. I don't Kathy, know. Maybe it's, you want to move closer uh, so you can hear better. That's if people need to do that. Oh, should I, should I start again and, and, and speak more loudly? By all means, yes. Okay, so, um, so I want to talk today about peace. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I maybe can't repeat all of this. It will go, it'll go too long. But I, I've been talking today about peace, both in Zazen as the Dharma gate of peace and bliss, as Dogen says, and also in the situation of militarism in our country. Uh, so could you hear some of that? <laughs> I heard all of it. I just thought it sometimes dropped low when I thought with people asking questions on my show. Okay. I, whoever that was, I heard you. Again, it's, it's fine that the volume is just fine when you're close to your device. Okay. As you were. That's good. So comments, questions, responses, reflections, please feel free. Well, thank you for calling our attention to that speech of King's um, about Vietnam. I hadn't known about that. Um, and also thank you for acknowledging Eisenhower and his discussion about the military-industrial complex. And, I mean, I, I find it helpful to be reminded that, that, that there were Republicans I can respect. And I wondered, in light of that, could you say something maybe about peace in the Congress? Okay. Um, Well, you know, we have a very divided political situation now. And obviously there's, there are people um, in in Congress who um, I would say are promoting hate and promoting domestic terrorism even, people in Congress who were involved in the January 6th uprising. Um, And, uh, you know, I think many of us are caught by knowing that um, we're in a divided country. Um, Many of us, myself included, have family or friends that uh, voted for the the ex-president um, who seems to have been guilty of supporting a coup and an insurrection? Um, so how do we, how do we respond to that? And so that's a good question, Eva. I've talked about that other times, but it's um, uh, I think we have to recognize people's fears. We have to listen to where people are coming from. We have to find common ground with people who we may disagree with. This this happens on subtler levels too. Within Sangha, we may disagree about some things. That's okay. How do we talk about it? Uh, uh, you know, um, hear each other's points of view. Um, try to respond helpfully as best we can. Uh, so uh, how do we promote, um, you know, so uh, talk. I was talking about, can you still hear me? I was talking about how we um, can support peace just by talking about pos- positive vision, talking about the possibility. You know, th- there's a kind of assumption that I think a lot of people have that war is necessary. I don't believe that. I think there, you know, and I've talked about this before, I think there have been cultures where conflict resolution, there were methods of conflict resolution that that did not require uh, violence and and, and military and weapons and so forth. But just to hold the view, the reality, the vision 
of uprightness, of awareness, of caring, compassion, uh, talking together positively. Um, it's hard to see in our political divisions right now how that can how that will work, but uh, we don't always see the the. In fact, we often don't see the results of our actions. So it takes it takes a while. This is a long process. There have been people working towards peace for a long time, long before Dr. King, throughout history. So seeing how we got to a certain place, the history of Vietnam that Dan Ellsberg exposed, uh, the history of the of the American war crimes in Iraq that uh, Julian Assange exposed and is now being persecuted for. Um, anyway, it's it's a long process. So uh, one of the th- one of the advantages of Buddhism and Zen practice is that we can see uh, a long perspective. We sometimes chant names going back to Shakyamuni Buddha. 2,500 years ago, and the Buddhas before him. And I'm talking today about somebody, Dogen in the 13th century and Hongzhen in the 12th century. This is a long process to bring peace in every in every aspect. So um, how do we support those who are working for peace? Uh, that's not really an answer, Eve, but that's my response. Other comments, please. Or reflections or responses or any comments. Jan's hand is up. Hello, Jan. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about Tigan's talk, which is always important and always very informative and necessary for us because uh, Tigan never gets tired of reminding us uh, who we are, why we're here, what we're doing, and um, what's going on. And I wanted to talk about language because we call this um, the Department of Defense. <laughs> and that I think we should, I started in when I'm writing to say the Department of Aggression yeah. called the Department of Defense. And, um, and I was trying to write down the examples of this and I, only got that one written down, but there's others. Um, there are many others um, where language, the, 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 the words that we use are wrong. It's not a department of defense. It's a department of American aggression. And, um, and we call them defense contractors, the ones that uh, Tigan mentioned, but they're actually contractors for our aggression. And and I think that, uh, well, my own self, I will use Department of Aggression and explain that, it's, that we call it the Department of Defense once. But as you go on, writing i just say the department of aggression and i wish i could uh, i wish i were better prepared because there are so many of these words that we use because everybody else does but we don't have to and um so um i'll try to bring this up some other time i'm not very well prepared this morning and um so I I can't really go into a list, but I will say that the recent um, my 
recently my friend John LaForge went to jail in Germany for, I think his sentence is about a month and a half in German prison uh, because he was protesting the American installations of nuclear warheads in a town in Germany. It could have been Buchel, something like that. It's almost so close to Bechtel that it's really bothersome <laughs> because Bechtel is another uh, uh, aggression contractor that the United States uses. And um, But I think the name of that town was Bichelle. But anyway, he's gone to jail now. And uh, he recently put out a nuke watch where he put on the front page, congratulations to the winners of the war in the Ukraine. And he mentioned Raytheon, um, uh, General Dynamics, et cetera, et cetera, the basic, the, the basic aggression contractors. And he mentioned, you know, that they've made more, more than a trillion dollars in the last two or three years with their defense, with their aggression contracts for the United States military. So, um, they are the winners and, uh, and their win is going to be short lived because you can't go on this way destroying the atmosphere with big explosions. Every time I see one of those explosions coming out of Ukraine, I think, well, there goes my carbon footprint for five years. You know, uh, I'm not going to use up that much carbon in two years in my life. And they're using it five times a day. Uh, so anyway, I think we should try to relate the carbon footprint of war to uh, the destruction of the atmosphere and I really have to be quiet because I'm just so badly prepared. Thank you. Jen, thank you very much. Um, back, a ways back in American history, I know during the Civil War and probably for a while after, what we now call the Department of Defense was the Department of War. So you can just say it that way <laughs> rather than aggression. That's that's three syllables. Just Department of War. Um, uh and the secretary, you know, um, uh, under Lincoln, Stanton was the secretary of war. That's just, that's just, you know, so what you're saying about language is so important. This is how, we, you know, that so much of our culture is about aggression and conquering and um, who's the winner and, you know, uh, the language of football or something is, is, you know, about winners and losers and and, and attacking and, so it gets so our so paying attention to this uh language is very important. I was talking about this recently in terms of duality and non-duality that are that are the very structure of our language is subject verb object. So we are we think of ourselves because of our language, sometimes we think of ourselves as subjects verbing objects. So the United States attacking, or UK Ukraine attacking Russia, or vice versa. Or we want to we want to be not verbed by other subjects, and when we think of ourselves as objects, so it's built into our language. So just being aware of this, just paying attention to language, as you're saying, Jan, can be very helpful. So thank you. Other people, any other comments, questions, reflections? Please feel free. Anybody in the room there? or here on Zoom? Well, I wanted to mention the fact that at universities, there are, there are courses in military history. And um, Tigan has brought up today a course in the history of peacemaking. I don't know of any course at any university that, uh, you know, you get the history of military, but you don't get a course in the history of peacemaking. There are departments of peace studies. Um, the one, uh, one that I know of is at Hampshire College in New England. And Michael Clare, who I knew uh, back in the protests against the Vietnam War in New York, uh, is a, a great uh, spokesperson for that. So, yes, there are um, there are departments of there are programs of peace studies, but uh, 
in some in some universities and colleges. But yes, you're right. Uh, history. What is history? <laughs> you know, history is karma. So how do we uh, how, understand? What's happened to each of us personally, but also what's happened in our country. And most history books are histories of war and histories of great leaders and histories of aggression. There's now starting to be more history of what were common people doing in these periods. And I think we have to think about the history of people and the history of peacemaking, too. Thank you, Jen. Other people, please, comments. Comment. Nobody else has anything. Please, people who haven't spoken, please feel free. And David, since I mentioned the volume the first time, I would just say now it's a little bit too loud. <laughs> <Everybody> <laughs> oh, is that Kathy? I can barely hear you. I get this. Uh, Kathy is saying that, that your volume is now too loud. I mean, I could t- turn your volume down a bit. I, I Deborah's shaking her head. I don't know. I uh, I so, didn't change my volume. All right. Just you know what? I'll closer. just turn my volume down a little bit. Uh, Tiger, so, do you mind saying something? Something, 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 something. Okay. 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 Um, so, Kathy, did you have any other comments? Yes, I just was going to say, um, following up on what you just mentioned, that I think the counter to all of this is that it's important that we be thinking ourselves about what fosters a peaceful society, what, you know, staying up to date on what acts are in Congress right now, or, or what things are being passed, what needs support, what needs blocking, uh, that that kind of engagement and vigilance on our part, you know, so trying to be a peacemaking culture, trying to contribute to that aspect um, of our society, I think is important. And I think there's less engagement, or at least it seems to me that way, less engagement now than there has been. Yeah, I think, uh, well, back in, Back in the Vietnam War, Dr. King helped accelerate a very strong anti-war peace movement that changed, um, took a while, but it changed the course of that war. Uh, I think there there are people working for peace all over the world and in this country. Uh, they don't get, the media doesn't pay attention to them so much. Um, anyway, um, uh, David Crosby, the great uh, rock musician who just passed away, wrote a song about uh, several songs about peace. Anyway, um, uh, but yes, Kathy, uh, for all of us to pay attention to what's happening in Congress, to the people in Congress who are working for peace, and there are some. Uh, so it's it's not, it, the, it to be to be good witnesses. So thank you, Kathy. Other comments. I wanted to comment um, in, in relation to uh, war profiteering. It seems that one of the forms of profiteering from from violence that we can directly do something about is um, has to do with social media. Um, there are billions being made by um, social media platforms that use algorithms to enhance uh, various forms of violence, whether it's verbal or actual, mm. by spreading them around because they, they get clicks. And, mm. and I think, you know, we can catch ourselves in our tendency to want to participate in argumentation mm-hmm. because it feeds the beast. And, and that means, in terms of our practice, to really ask ourselves, what is this that needs defending in me? Why, why am I compelled to argue with someone? And, and is there a different way of communicating than uh, feeding the beast? And, and that's a real hard practice because we're all prone to want to defend ourselves and to argue. It's, it's a difficult thing, but it gets very personal. 
Thank you. I, it's a little dark there. I can't see who this who that was speaking. Brian. Oh, Brian. Good. Thank you. Um, yes, I very much agree. Uh, we need to. Uh, there's so many things we can do, and we, in terms of watching our language, like talking about, uh, you know, the Department of War rather than Department of Defense, as Jan said, but also just how do we um, get involved in argumentation. That's you know so so trying to convert somebody to our perspective uh, usually isn't so helpful. How do we listen to what people where what people's own fears and feelings are and and respond from there and find the commonality? So thank you, Brian. Other comments? As somebody who hasn't spoken yet, please. There's a lot of people here, and all of you have <laughs> uh, good thoughts. And we're all, it's almost time to, to stop, so uh, I believe so. Um, well, can I say one more thing? There is something I wanted to call. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, for people in Chicago, um, there's a new office now, this district police council that in February we're electing um, three people from each police district. So that's not the ward, that's the police district. And I think it is an opportunity to practice dialogue potentially and listening to each other. Um, and with the caveats on language, you know, frankly, I think, there's been a problem with the defunding the police language. I think a lot of people who um, have supported that slogan, it, it's not like they totally want to throw out the police, but want to open up the possibility of thinking about policing, thinking about the problem of violence on our streets and how we face it, um, thinking about how we support our communities. Um, I, I, you know, wanting to open that up and think about it differently and, and this new office, it's unclear, like, what people are going to do with it, ostensibly. People who um, win the election for district police council, they nominate the um, people for the overall city body that's going to advise the police. And then the mayor picks uh, appoints from among the people that were nominated that it was sort of a political compromise. But um, but there's going to be these people in each each district and they get five hundred dollars a month, which isn't much. But, you know, but some of them, I one of my friends is running for that office and and he and some of the other people are saying, look, this is an opportunity. We can use this as a venue to talk to each other and to support productive dialogue within communities about um, how we combat violence in our communities and and make the kind of and make peace and safety in our communities so anyway thank, just, so thank you Eve. I, I um yes it's this isn't just about the ukraine this isn't just about raytheon and northrop grumman and lockheed and boeing um how do we promote peace in, you know right here in chicago for those of us here um and and in in communities all around the world. So, yeah, um, uh, it is a, a little over time, but if there's one other, if, if one other person has something you would like to add, please, please, one more. Going once, going twice. Okay, how... how you know, as Tiknan Han talked about being peace. How can we uh, express kindness, caring, listening, communication? This isn't easy. Our culture has has, you know, talking about language. Our culture has trained us to think in terms of winning and losing, and 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 conquering others, and so forth. So we need to work at this. Okay, uh, I guess nobody else. So thank you, um, David Ray. Maybe we can have the um, 
Lord Bodhisattva vows, and then announcements, and then our service. And so I'll share the text for that. These are numberless, we vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, we vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless, we vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, we vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, we vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to conquer them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it.